lovely, but that's how it goes. Millions of podcasts, but you're listening to this one. (laughs) (laughs) That went off the rails. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I thought that I might have. (laughs) Welcome, listeners, to Dad and Lovely, your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast in all the known multiverse here with old Uncle Ben. And who's that man I got over there in some kind of a, a fortress of solitude? Live from Koreatown in a pillow fort. <laughs> it's me, a grown adult man, Hollywood Steven Spratling. Steve, what you doing in that pillow fort? Well, uh, my upstairs neighbor complained that uh, <laughs> it was recording too loud. Um, I, I imagine our listeners will remember many times when I give it a Ric Flair woo. Um, yeah, one of them. Uh, <laughs> so she complained that I was a bit too loud. And we do record this a little late. It goes, We go into midnight here, uh, West Coast time sometimes. So um, I have made some makeshift soundproofing, <laughs> which is freaking odd. Like if a five-year-old me could see me now, he'd be like, man, doing it right. Damn, living the dream, dude. Yep. <laughs> I like to also imagine that you're in there all hunkered down with like a Hulk Hogan ra- razzling buddy, maybe. <laughs> Man, I wish I had my Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy right now. That would be fucking awesome. Old JR, you know, my buddy Josh Rogers, he used uh-huh. to have a Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy. You know what uh-huh. he did with it? What do you do? Stabbed it with a knife. What the hell? <laughs> he was kind of what? a wild child, I'll tell you That's that. That's a... That is a heel move. Stabbing yeah. Hulk Hogan? <laughs> He's a real American. <laughs> what if that had been a storyline? Like, that seems like it would maybe be uh, an ECW storyline. Yeah, but, like, what if that, that had been, what if that had been, like, an 80s WWF, like, ho- or, um, you know, real American Hogan era storyline where <laughs> just. I don't know, like, Brutus the Barber Beefcake just stabs him with his shears. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that would have been cool. Remember when Hogan got stabbed? Yeah, that was sick. <laughs> Sounds legit, man. Sounds legit. I can't believe that your neighbor's being such a bitch about it. I mean, is oh, she up there man. trying to put all them gremlins to bed after midnight or something? <laughs> it's true. It is. That's what she said. She said, listen, I got these goddamn gremlins, and they get so hungry if they wake up after midnight. And then mm. you're dickhead booming ass voice and i'm like you know i get it gotta keep them gremlins asleep well yeah bright light bright Mm -hmm. light all that (laughs) how you been out there in them hollywood hills this week steve man i've been doing pretty good my wife's had some dental problems so we've been uh dealing with uh her having a good bit of pain and turns out she needs a root canal so listen i know just the guy i know just the guy it's one dr isaac Isaac yankum Yes. How did you know? Man, I know that guy. That guy, you know what? That guy should be the sheriff of Knox County. Yeah, I think that maybe he should be. He is running, isn't he? Or did he already run and lose? Um, man, I don't even keep up. I don't remember. He was in there somewhere, though. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're talking about Kane, guys. That was one of his, <laughs> that was Glenn one of his old, Jacobs. Glenn Jacobs, that was one of his old, uh, personas isaac yankum he was a demented dentist yeah it's funnier now that we explained it yeah yeah i'm sure <laughs> so like there were probably 15 people listening <laughs> they were just like yeah isaac yankum man all right great 
<laughs> That's cool, man. Over here in the in the East Tennessee Hills, I have been down with the sickness, as they say. <laughs> it's uh, nowhere near as fun and jubilant as the song might lead you to imagine. You know what? I bet it's not. I bet it's also less wearing a trucker hat than that song makes me think of. I did find myself uh, sitting up in bed, oftentimes going, ooh, ah, 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 and coughing a lot and stuff, though, so I guess it's kind of accurate, like semi-accurate. You, you, you want that to go from ooh, ah, 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 to ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, because <laughs> oh. uh, that's, that's a bit more fun and less, you know, sick. Follow it up with a ting-ting, perhaps a walla walla bing bang. Yeah, dude, I've had that fucking flu, and... Uh, Dude, that it's, sucks. It's not been great, man. It's not been great at all. Basically, kind of how it went down is, you know, we, we had our um, our New Year's Eve show with Skank Banger. And then, like, you know, Monday was cool, just kind of relaxing day. And then, like, Tuesday, I got out of bed, and I was like, man, alive. I'm really sore from that show, even though it's been, like, 48 hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, like, all my joints were hurting and stuff. Yeah, old people's stuff. Exactly. That's how I should have known. Is like whenever, whenever I'm getting like a really bad cold or like a flu coming on, it's like the uh-huh. joints hurt first. Huh? You can feel the storm coming. Uh, yeah, that's how I know. That's how I mm-hmm. know, man. And uh, I thought it was from the show, but it was from me having the flu. And I spent probably three days or so solid, like literally just being in bed. Wow. I did not like it. Howard Hughes style, like where was it like a completely uh, <laughs> sealed off room where you're not yeah. clipping your fingernails and toenails? Okay. Yeah, I had the I had the Kleenex boxes over my feet, <laughs> you know, for style reasons. Well, you gotta look cool. Yeah, exactly. You gotta look cool. Yeah, exactly. Even when I'm going down in flames, I ain't about to look shot. So, <laughs> yeah, it was not good, man. So in the time that I was actually, you know, rational and coherent and not like feeling like all my skin was being sandblasted off of me 24-7. God damn. It was was this a Hellraiser sequel? I mean, it really did. Yeah, it might as well have been. It was like (laughs) the flu brought to you by Clive Barker. It was not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We did manage to to watch some television. We sat Mm. down and we started watching that first season of that West World. Dude, I love that show so much. I believe I've talked about it uh, a number of episodes, but that show is so good. What do you think about it? We are on episode eight, so we haven't finished it yet. Mm-hmm. And like, I'll tell you, to, to be completely honest, like it's kind of been like at first, I was absolutely blown away and enchanted. Yeah. And right now where we're at, and it maybe it's because we've been binge watching it. Maybe it's just where things are about to turn over. But I kind of feel like the past few episodes have been like, okay, Ed Harris is trying to find the maze. Okay, the the leader of the brothel lady is manipulating those two guys to give her more powers and stats. And uh-huh. escape. Okay, it's, it's kind of like I feel like I'm kind of like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Now what's going to happen? But Dude, I've, I've heard that it's worth it because... It comes to a head. It's that's perfect. what I've heard. Yeah, that's it, what I've it, heard. It is. You know how, like, because the, the music of the show is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it really, like, the way they did the the flow of the show is very musical and it mm. really does come to this great crescendo and just like awesomeness at the end it's awesome 
I've yeah. really enjoyed it, especially like those those first couple of episodes. I was just all like, "Oh my god, this is the shit!" Because I don't know, like, there's a lot of themes in there that I really enjoy, kind of pondering myself. It's, you know, it's like, how would you know if yeah. you were a robot? You know, living your first yeah. day with all your implanted. How, how do you know now? Yeah, you exactly. Have no idea. Yeah. Like, I've thought about that kind of shit since I was like a fucking kid. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered about that kind of thing and thought it was very fascinating. I've always thought it was just a fascinating idea that, you know, like w- one of those things I entertain a lot all the time is like, what if this is just a big simulation that we're living? Like, what if it's yeah. not really reality? I think it's very plausible, actually. Yeah, it's very plausible and, and possibly even likely following yeah, exactly. a certain set of logic. Exactly, man. And, you know, it's one of those things that's always fascinated me to think, like, what if actually today is the first day of that simulation? Like, what if today is the first day of all reality as we know it? Yeah, and all the stuff that you remember, it's not real. Yeah, it's it just never program. happened. Yeah, it's exactly. just a program. It seems real. It feels real because that's how you run the program. Yeah, if that's all you've ever known, then mm-hmm. why wouldn't it yeah. be? So the show has all kinds of themes and stuff about stuff like that that I find really fascinating, and especially, too, as we, you know as we dive headfirst closer and closer to a singularity and, and more robotics yeah. and stuff in our everyday lives, it's like yeah. these ethical questions about how do we treat these things that we've given sentient life? Yeah. How do we, you know, what are their rights? What makes them human or not human and so on? It's like, these are questions that we're really going to have to start answering in a big way soon. I suggest if you do really like that, those themes, and, and that's what I think people really take to with Westworld is those themes that are yeah. like just on the cusp of reality for us. Um, Black Mirror is the show for you. I've been meaning to watch that too because I've heard that that's the bomb. Yeah, it's an anthology show, so it's, I mean, it's less of a dedication when you sit down. Like, you can just watch an episode and come back to it later or whatever, like. Yeah, but it's kind of, each episode is a self-contained little mini-movie, basically. Yeah, right? every episode is like a little mini-movie, and they, they all cover these different areas of the the fringes of our society right now, the things that we seem to be moving towards. Mm. Um and sometimes it's uh, super duper depressing. I do recommend though, like if you really just want to get into the show, uh, the new season, season four just came out recently. And the first episode is, it is not depressing and will not turn you off of the show. <laughs> like the ending of it will make you excited to see other episodes. Cause if you watch some of the more popular episodes, the ending of those sometimes are so super depressing that you're just like, I do not want to see another episode yeah. of this. <laughs> but but if you start with uh, season four, episode one, you'll get like uh, those themes, but also you, it's it's more of a fun ride than than some of the other episodes. Right on. That sounds cool, man. I'll definitely have to get around to sitting down and giving that a view, man. Have you watched anything good lately? Uh, well, I've watched some things lately. I have watched some good, uh, but first thing I wanted to say is I watched Bright. Okay, that's the, is it Will Smith and there's like a uh-huh. zombie yeah. cop or some Joel, shit? Oh, he's a, an orc, Joel Egerton. Um, okay. It's a, the concept is very interesting to me. Um, a fantasy reality that just exists in a modern day. Um... If if a fantasy world ever got to a modern era, that's probably what it would look like, kind of. Okay. But the issue is that 
it's not good. <laughs> like it's a poor <laughs> execution. Oh no! Like, like Will Will Smith is always Will Smith. Like I I I don't think Will Smith's ever not charming in a movie. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's not great. Ooh. I think in this he is he's good. He's he's giving it his all, and it's um. I mean, this is it was made by the guy who made Suicide Squad, the oh, same Jesus. director, David Ayer. I was, just, I was just thinking, but he did Suicide Squad. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly it. Is this is this is uh, Will Smith and and uh, the director from Suicide Squad? So like, there's some sort of like there's a major focus on Will Smith, um. But Joel Egerton's really good in it too, mm-hmm. um. There are a lot of people who give some good performances. I just think that this the story is not very coherent, and it, it kind of, though, it reminded me somewhat of Duncan Jones's uh, Warcraft movie that came out like last year or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where it's not great, but it is interesting, and I probably would watch a sequel. Okay, right on. Um, so I, I would watch a sequel of Bright, but I have to admit it took me four sittings to get through it. I, I did have to keep stopping it and being like, oof, that's not very good. Um, Is it a, a movie or a series? It's it's a movie, but it's a Netflix movie. They okay. they spent like a ton of money on it, but yeah, like I heard it was real the, expensive. The response to it has been positive. I mean, a lot of people watched it and people are okay with it. I think it's just one of those things where it's like this is a streaming movie. I haven't heard about it for months. It, ha- it hasn't already come out in theaters. It's it's come out immediately on Netflix. I might as well watch it. It's this yeah. big budget movie, and people watch it and they're like, "Eh, it's fine." And it is. It's it's fine. It's not great. It's fine. You know, the cool thing is though is that you know, kind of like kind of like what we talked about when we were talking about the babysitter, where it's like, yeah, it's not really the best, but I kind of want to support the yeah. fact that they're oh, yeah. putting such money into. You know, a streaming, uh-huh. a streaming movie. It's like when we were kids, dude. If anything skipped theaters and went straight to video, it was you, shit. Yeah, you might as well just put a sticker on it that said, "Hey, this is garbage. Don't worry about it." Yeah. But it's so rad, man, to see like how much truly fantastic shit we're getting these days. That is skipping the theaters. That is skipping the MPAA. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, fuck it. You know what? More people have Netflix than have time to go see. A movie in a theater and shit you know yeah and it's easier i mean um it's easier to sit this is the thing we've always known back in the day when we used to rent videos yeah that was a big thing with the family like either you sit down with the family and everybody watches it or the kids go to bed and the the parents watch a movie that maybe the kids can't watch not necessarily porn but you know maybe porn maybe. um <laughs> <laughs> But like it, it is, it's it, it's harkening back to that old model that is a positive thing. It could be very good. So hopefully, like um, some more quality stuff will come out because we do get from Netflix like um, some a lot of quality sort of indie horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to see maybe a bigger thing like uh, what we're talking about today, The Ring, or you know so, something that has a bigger scale to it. Um, babysitter was was again fine. I I'm not a huge fan of it, but McGee is you know he's a big action director and he did he did bring a lot of like sort of slickness to it. Yeah. That um I mean you know oftentimes we forget that uh, there've been a lot of good big budget horror movies not uh not near the end of big budget 
uh, movie times, which would be the uh, late 90s to mid 2000s. Like that was sort of the waning of of good big budget horror movies. But we we could have them again. That would be real totally. fun totally, to go see man. something or to go sit on your couch and watch something as awesome as Scream for the first time, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, too, where anytime that we've had all these, you know, mega huge remakes or sequels of these, you know, beloved horror franchises, like we're going to talk about here in a second, you know, and they come out in theaters, it's like, well, they have to have a huge name director. They have to have big name actors in them. They have to cost yeah. millions of dollars to advertise. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's a piece of shit remake fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just interesting to me to think that you know, should these streaming-only sequels and remakes and stuff continue to happen, it's like, we could actually have a really cool Elm Street flick or 13th yeah. flick or Gremlins oh, flick. Oh, man. You know? I, you know what? I mean, we've talked about that we, we do have an Elm Street flick that we've yeah. uh, been working on, kind of. And, I mean, I haven't went, f- like, whole hog into it. I do have the history and lore down, and I have the idea for the characters sketched out. I, I really think that, man, like, if they could open up, like, those studio properties a bit more and get a little, like lower budget vision lower scale sort of thing where you're going straight to netflix yeah. you put you put 24 million into the movie but like it's going straight into the movie it's not into like you know advertising and stuff it's just exactly. straight into the movie and you can have a lot of fun with that stuff uh it'd be interesting i'd like to see it well again especially considering you'd be dodging the mpaa and stuff because they yeah, always you don't have to worry about that shit anymore yeah. Because they always want them to make these fucking horror flicks as PG-13. And it's like, dude, no horror fan wants <laughs> that. Wants to, no. Nobody, nobody wants that. But it's like, if you're doing this on Netflix, where there's not even a rating, mm-hmm. then who cares? You know, who cares that people yeah. under 18 won't be able to buy a ticket for it? It doesn't matter. It's on Netflix. Everybody can watch yeah. it. Yeah. Be fucking awesome. Yeah. I hope that we see that, because over the years, we have had ourselves a slew of mostly terrible horror remakes and that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna get to talking about here before we get to the main subject of our show today which is now hold up ben what what Uh, tell uh, me about podcast remix listen i know you don't want to do this i know you're worried about it because on your faqs your FAQ series Uh you go through you answer some questions but i've noticed ben that the questions you them. answer, you're cherry picked, and then some of them are softballs. Yeah, it's true. So it's true. I've gone through and I've I've looked for what I think are some of the tougher questions to oh, answer. Shit. You gotta fact me. I'm gonna fact you, and I'm calling this no fact you. Oh my god, dude! So I'm I'm totally uninitiated here. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have answers for these. I don't have my cue cards. Well. You better get ready, buddy, because this is this is gonna be rough. Gooch Nukem asks, "What is a humbucker, and was it named before guitars were cool?" It well, okay, yeah, it was okay because the thing is, is back then people thought the hum was the cool thing, and they're like, "Well, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put two pickups together, so they'll ditch the hum, and we're gonna buck that hum. So it's a humbucker." <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. Take that, Gooch Nukem. He yeah, seemed to be prepared. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I'm on the ball. And, and that in Humdinger was already taken. All right. All right. Well, now, okay. How about this one? 
Krang's body's butt is curious. <laughs> Whammy bars is yeah. too, too many. I mean, it's barely enough, isn't it? Listen, I mean, we all know Whammy Bar's the coolest part of every song. Yeah, Somebody totally whips so. out that Whammy Bar. That's the kickstand you hold your guitar up with. Yeah, so if you got two of them, it's like... You're, like a, you're happier than a puppy with two Peters. <laughs> <laughs> now, all right, now, um, let's see. Looks like here... Uh, Late night stepdad asks, mm. you up eggplant emoji? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's awake. All Brilliant. right. Good. Okay. Um, that movie, oh, I thought the he Patri meant like my penis. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Now I get, see, you're better at these than I are. All right. Sorry. Maybe I picked some, maybe I picked some softballs. Hey, hey. Um, looks like here, uh, we got that movie, The Patriot wants to know, is it true that you punish guitar students who can't play a chord right by nailing their fingers into the correct position? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Although sometimes I nail it into the incorrect position that they're in, so that way they'll remember their shame. Oh, God damn. Yeah, exactly. God damn. He had a family. <laughs> All right, now... Uh, <laughs> This one is uh, just me, and I, I really think that this one's gonna it's gonna be tough for you. I better buckle up. Are all guitars machines that kill fascists, or was it just the one? Okay, it started off as the one, but there were clones made. Oh, okay. Now, so, uh, for example, like Ted Nugent's Gibson Birdland uh -huh. does not kill fascists; it supports them. <laughs> It does. It does. <laughs> you know, I bet he has a sticker on the back that says, this machine supports fascists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I have a follow-up. Would you like to play a modded version of Wolfenstein armed only with Woody Guthrie's guitar? Yeah, I think that's very, very doable, actually. Yeah, I'm on board. All right. Now, this is the tough one. This was the last one, and this one comes from... A Mitchie Two Buds 420 6969. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. David's secret cord. Fake news or Jewish conspiracy? Oh man. That's that's because of the space Jews right there, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> the space Jews? Yeah, oh, the no. space Jews. What did they do? Oh, they have everything. secret cords? Name it. Oh my god, is it like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Exactly where like that. Where you just you play some mothership. cords at them mm -hmm. and lead you to the mothership, the secret cord. Alright guys. Bum, bum, bum. Actually, the, the secret cord of the space Jew is the bum 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 It's more of a melody than a chord, really. And let's also remind people I'd like to work in Hollywood and I'm not making fun of people of the Jewish faith. <laughs> <laughs> man, okay, that's, that's so, quite a fact, and you just gave. Yeah, me. man, that was no fact. You now, guys, uh, if you if you want to include some some real tough questions for Ben's future fact use, uh, I think I think you let people know ahead of time to ask you questions. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, but I mean this this kind of impromptu style of. You know, just hit me with these mm -hmm. these fastball, yeah. hard-knocking questions. This is pretty invigorating. All right. So if you want to ask him the tough ones, send them straight to me. Huh? Deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. 
and I'll hit him with them. You can keep the easy stuff to my fucking YouTube channel for amateurs <laughs> and children. Children. Oh, also, real quick and unrelated to everything, last week I said It Comes at Night had Kerry Washington in it. Um, I apparently am racist. It was Carmen Ajogo, um, who looks slightly like Kerry Washington, but not that much. Well, all right then. You you slipped it right by me. Yep. Anyway, so let's talk about these remakes, Ben. Re- all right. Re- re- remakes. <laughs> so over the years, we have been treated and uh, not treated to some horror remakes and stuff. And I want to talk about some of these with you here because, of course, as we know, the ring that we're talking about today, we're talking about the 2000 and was it 2002? Uh, yeah, 2002. The American version of the movie. Uh-huh. USA. USA. <laughs> which, of course, is based on the Japanese version, which apparently, as you informed me about just a second ago, was based on about five other things before that. Yeah, we'll get into the, crazy. the entirety of the history of the Ring uh, remakes. But uh, let's let's talk about some others. Now, Ben, uh, you started this saying that they're mostly bad remakes, and I would agree with that. But yeah. um, I think early on, some, especially, you know what, uh, through the 70s and, and 80s, early 80s, there were some good remakes. Yeah? Like what? Now, one is Invasion of the Body Snatchers with okay. Donald Sutherland. That's mm-hmm, from yeah. the 70s. It's good. It's better than the original, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It's a good horror movie. Another is uh, The Thing. Oh, yeah. I always forget that that's a remake. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the 2011 version, which is not great. Um, I haven't seen it. I've been, like, scared to watch it. Eh, it's it's not terrible. It's not great. And then The Fly. Uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly is better than the original. Oh, my God. It absolutely is. You're right. Yeah, Yeah, the... The the Cronenberg one is one of like the most fucking disgusting movies ever made. Yeah, yeah, and it's awesome. <laughs> so like, um, there are really good remakes, and we've we've had some trickle out past that era, but there seemed to be a pretty good era there where people were like, hey, these movies from the fifties or early sixties, if we could do them with our makeup effects now, we could probably make them really awesome, and then the they are it's true they're really awesome like that dawn of the dead remake that they did yeah the dawn of the dead remake that uh, came out in 2004 i believe that was, was a good pretty one fun. yeah it was pretty yeah. fun i remember seeing that back in the day and being like all right like it uh-huh. you know it's it's not like a a movie that's gonna redefine cinema or any shit like that but it's a good yeah. br- you know brutal bloody gory zombie movie that had some yeah. some pretty cool stuff in it it's been a while since i've seen it we need to do that again for the show sometime yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, well, we should do the original, though. That's the better, of course. But um, that the Dawn of the Dead remake was really awesome. Um, and in that same vein, around that same time, you also had The Crazies, which is a George Romero remake that um, I, I liked the remake. It has Timothy Oliphant in it. I think it's great. Um, the Hills Have Eyes remake, which oh, yeah. was That's right. done by That's right. Alexandra Aja, the guy who did um, High Tension. I never saw that, but I've seen the original, of course, and I love the, the original. Great, yes. Yeah. Um, the new one is good, though. Like the remake is good. I liked <laughs> both of them. I thought they were okay. They uh, weren't great. The original two are better, but they both involve a, a good bit of weird rapiness. Oh yeah, which is a little uh, a bit of a faux pas now. 
So, a faux pas. I just said rapiness is a faux pas. A little faux pas. Let's consider this a vocal edit. Guys, it's more than that. Um, <laughs> and then also Piranha 3D, which is again Alexander Aja, and is fucking awesome. I that's love such a Piranha fun movie. 3D. It, yeah, so that's good. really yeah. fun. That's when we went and saw in the theaters, actually, and it was just like, dude, this is just a fun. good old time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a just good a good time. old time, man. But there are a ton of bad ones, so let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah. What do you think about that Elm Street remake that we had a couple of years ago? <laughs> I, I want somebody out there to make a super cut of, uh, I'm pretty sure you have asked me several times, what do you think of that Elm Street remake? Yeah. And every time, it's a piece of shit. It's <laughs> yeah, terrible. it's terrible. It's, it's real terrible. fucking bad. It's, it's, so, it's so outside of the awesomeness that was set up by the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It, it makes sense maybe to move on for Robert England because he's older, but it doesn't make sense to move to a CGI face. No, dude. And it's one of those ones where I'm just like, was this needed? Was this necessary? No. Like, why? No, 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 no. And the fact that it's a remake instead of just a new part of the series. Yeah. I mean... And dude, all the CGI and shit in the movie, like, notwithstanding, um, you know... Freddy's Freddy's makeup and stuff like that, but even the way that they fucked with a lot of the classic scenes, like the rubber wall yeah. and shit like yeah. that, it's just ridiculously bad, man. And honestly, I don't feel like I don't feel like Jackie Earl Haley could be a horrible Kruger. I mean, if they're playing no, him, like I straight think... and shadowy mm-hmm. and stuff, like he could be good. Yeah. yeah, I think he could have done a great job and still could do a great job. Um if he's not having his voice distorted in uh, the post-production, and if he's not a CGI face. <laughs> yeah, that face was expressionless. Like, it had... Yeah. It literally didn't move with his mm-hmm. with his mouth, with his voice. And I understand to an extent what they were trying to do. They were trying to make him look more like a real burn victim. And a lot of times, you know, if you've been severely, severely burned on your face, yeah, you lose some of that mobility... Yeah, and, and things. So it's like what they showed with his with his features being very expressionless, especially when he was talking and stuff. Yeah, that's probably kind of more realistic for a burn victim. But come on, dude, it's a movie about a guy that kills kids in their dreams. It's not about fucking realism. He's Freddy Krueger. He's he's charismatic. Yeah. He's funny, and he needs expressions. Robert uh, England made Freddy Krueger with his expressions and his physicality and you can't do that if everything you do is going to be replaced with CGI afterwards yeah exactly so Hey, so Jackie Arlady didn't get a chance to be a good Freddy Krueger. The movie didn't get a chance to be good because instead of building off of the already very interesting series that you had up to this point, you decide you could do it better. Uh, and you can't. You can't no. do it better than the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And then the second Nightmare on Elm Street, which is uh, as we've discussed, a fucking gem that people don't realize how awesome it is. And uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe in the not-too-distant future, we do Dream Warriors, which is awesome. I'm on board. uh, You got at least three good movies there, and we all know New Nightmare is is fun. Like, (laughs) out of the eight movies up to that point, plus Freddy versus Jason, you just throw all of that away and redo the first one it doesn't Come make on. sense no uh-uh definitely so another one too that that doesn't make sense and speaking of 
of Jason is that Friday the 13th remake that they did that oh. I think fucking Michael Bay directed yeah. and stuff. I watched that for the well, first he was, time a couple he, months Michael ago. Bay was the producer on it. The director okay. was, um, I believe he was a Korean director, not positive uh, what he had done before or what his name is. Man, it's terrible. It fucking sucks. Yeah, it's dude. not good. It's no. not good at all. And uh, we've talked about this before that the guy who plays uh, Jason in it is... Uh, uh, Derek Mears and he does a good job he does a good job he of does. Jason but it doesn't again it doesn't make sense that they replaced Kane Hodder no huh yeah if that guy's around and he's capable then just go for it yeah cause he he's the perfect Jason I mean yeah. again Der- Derek Mears was better than um, I would say any of the others that weren't Kane Hodder like I, I might yeah. put him at a number two he did really good but um, the story is so bland and the characters, characters are forgettable. Are, yeah. Yeah, you don't care about them at all. And in fact, you get introduced to an entire series of characters for like 20 minutes. You're dealing with them, and then they are all killed except for one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's new right. Characters. Like, it makes no sense. It's, yeah. it's a terribly done movie. Uh, the kills, some of the kills are good in it. But I was going to say, like, if there's one thing that I can say that's a pro for that movie that the Elm Street didn't have is that it was pretty brutal like it had some pretty good kills and stuff in there um that's about the only merits that i can say for it i was never scared i was never exhilarated i never cared about any of the characters Mm -hmm. oh man just a weak ass movie now that those are two real good examples of bad ones that come from real good series but there are two that come from good series that were good ones and I think it's because they decided to do something different and they understood the source material best. Hmm. First one I'm thinking of is Evil Dead. Yeah, dude, the Evil Dead, the Evil Dead remake is fucking awesome. That was yeah. like one of the biggest surprises that I think I've ever had watching a horror flick is because I I watched that one night when it was just like, I literally have nothing else to watch. Mm-hmm. Whatever, let's just put this on, get this over with. And I was blown away by that movie. It is exceptionally fucking punishing. Yeah. Uh, Well-paced. And it's like you said, it's like they knew they couldn't stick to the original and give you fucking ash and and one-liners and all that stuff. They knew they weren't going to be able to do that. So they just took it somewhere else, you know? And as we talked about on our Evil Dead episode, um, go back and listen to that one. It's a good one. Um, The way the evil dead played out was more about necessity than uh design yeah because totally. they lost all their actors all they had was bruce campbell it was just bruce campbell and the crew most of the time that's how evil dead gets its trademark creepy but also uh funny sort of last half um because of necessity totally. so if it's not necessity if you're building off of that very interesting demonic world that they build in the Evil Dead movies, if you're building off that, you're trying to make it good, you you go full horror. Like you can't you can't try to duplicate the comedy, especially without Bruce Campbell. Totally. So let's just not even go there, right? Yeah, just go full horror. These demons are fucking horrifying. I know, like, man. Jeez, dude. And some of the gore in that flick, like I'm shocked. That they got away with it in an American horror movie. Like, it's it's one of the most hardcore American flicks that I think I've ever seen, man. That scene where a chick has to, like, cut her arm off with that, like, electric yeah. carver. 
Yep. Holy <laughs> shit. And then that other chick, doesn't she like cut her tongue out with scissors or some shit? Yes. And that, ah. that uh, uh, guy gets stabbed in the eye with a syringe several oh, yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Now, the other one I want to mention is probably a little more controversial, a lot more controversial. Halloween. Um, I We've talked about Halloween, the original. Uh, I love it. It's one of the best movies, uh, best horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter, my favorite horror movie director. Um, I'm not saying in the least bit that the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie sh- uh, overshadows it or has has anything more to offer if you're looking for a Michael Myers flick. But if you're looking for a Rob Zombie movie that would exist in an alternate universe, Michael Myers, it's good. I I really like the dysfunctional family aspect. I like how grimy it is. I like how brutal it is at times and, and especially the sequel as far as brutality goes, the Rob Zombie Halloween 2 is so brutal and just like grinding as you're watching it. Like it's just, you watch it and you're just like, oh my God, like it's a white knuckler for most of the movie. Um, wow. So yeah, I've only seen the original in theaters yeah. and I never saw the second one. Yeah. I like the thing is that uh, in you know that's what we need to talk about now that we're talking about remakes is nothing is too sacred i mean we just said the evil dead remake is great um the there are a number that are really good elm street and friday the 13th aren't good not because they're remakes of something we love but because they're remakes of something we love that were done poorly very poorly and i'll throw one more on top of that fucking dumpster fire too um yeah Probably the worst offender, honestly, of all of these remakes that we've been talking about is the Poltergeist remake. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. my God. It's so <laughs> bad. Like, you know, again, it's like even though even though that Elm Street, re- Elm Street remake is terrible, even though the 13th remake is terrible, it's like uh-huh. it's still watchable. You can still oh, yeah, watch it's... it and see a butt or see somebody get murdered. And it's like, okay, uh-huh. whatever. Man, that Poltergeist remake, like, it could not have missed the mark further like there's no possible way like i don't i don't understand how anybody greenlit that anybody on set was like yeah this is good this is where this should be going this is you know this lives up to the uh to the (laughs) legacy of the original even remotely like it's so fucking bad it's unwatchable it's terrible i think the thing is that sometimes a movie a remake is a swing and a miss like when when you look at Evil Dead, what uh, I don't know how to say his first name, F E D E Fade or Fide Alvarez, mm. uh, did was he swung for the fences? He yeah. went fucking the exact opposite almost of of the tone of the Evil Dead movies, and by doing so, he brought out like the the deeper undertone of the Evil Dead movies, which is the brutality of, like, you're, you know, having to chop up your girlfriend after she becomes possessed by a demon. Oh, like, God, yeah. Yeah, Poltergeist is more like a soft bunt, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, like, <laughs> that's that's the point. Like, sometimes if you're, if you're gonna remake it, either, like, you you, you dive deep into what it means and, and try not to uh, hurt the legacy, or 
you uh you just swing and and hope that your vision works and so like uh, rob zombie did that with halloween mm-hmm. and some people liked it some people hate it um you know uh honestly david cronenberg did that with the fly and john carpenter did that with the thing if you compare totally. those movies to their originals it's a fucking completely different story and the thing that's so cool too like with with the thing for example is like john carpenter obviously has great love and respect for the source material like yeah i mean he put the thing from another world in halloween you know yeah i mean yeah he was already telegraphing i want to remake this yeah totally it's like you already knew that he loved the original and stuff so he was able to come at it from the perspective of somebody who has already watched this movie for you know 30 years and loved it and understood it and kind of like what you're saying a second ago swung hard to dig deeper into what this movie could be about and it's so good that, you know, most of the time people forget that there is an original. Yeah, exactly. So, um, when we're talking about remakes, um, what often happens is that you have people who are dedicated to originality. Sure. Um, and they, you know... They, they might fit very well in the uh, mid-80s punk scene. Uh, they might call you a poser, perhaps. Um, people who are super deep into originality, it's great. Um, but oftentimes what they're missing is that originality uh, only comes about from building off of what already exists. Sure. Um, we call people who come up with completely original art that seems completely detached from anything that's come before folk artist. But mostly when you're dealing with art, you're talking about building off of what's come before. Mm-hmm. And originality is your ability to compose elements that have come before with your own vision for what they can be. Yeah. That means to me in my mind that a remake um shouldn't have an immediate tag of disdain and an immediate thought of this can't be as good as the original right yeah yeah totally so when we do that what we're saying is there can't be innovation (laughs) like you can't you can't develop this better you can't do anything uh, as good and somehow if you do it you'll be hurting the thing i already love which will cease to exist if you oh clearly yeah, yeah clearly so yeah i know what you mean and a lot of people do get that hyper fixation on well because it was the original one clearly it's better and it's like okay yes. sometimes that's the case Some sometimes people nail it the first time it's true but a lot of times they fucking don't and <laughs> what happens is people use that first iteration of something as a blueprint to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. this was good, but this didn't work and this didn't work, so let's improve Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and sometimes uh, a a remake isn't about thinking the original failed. Like, sometimes the remake is about being a huge fan of the original and seeing something bubbling under the surface that the original doesn't bring out and just focusing on that. So... When we talk about The Ring today, um, people automatically are going to be thinking, well, why aren't you doing the original? Which they think is Ringu. (laughs) But uh, The the Ring, uh, Ring, 
is based off of a novel from 1991 called Ring. Wow, um, that long ago. Yeah. Now, in the novel, uh, basically, Sadako, who is Samara, is uh, intersex and has something akin to ESP that's uh, hard to define and gets infected with smallpox. And the smallpox and her ESP combine and she's able to create a viral VHS, VHS tape with her mind really? uh, that, that kills whoever views it in seven days unless they make a copy. So there's this basic story here. I didn't know that that's what the original storyline was like. Yes, and uh, I'm glad that I read that and really got into depth about what the novel is because it really made me understand the movie better. Okay. Um, but the first version of Ring was um, actually uh, Ring Kanzenban or Ring the Complete Edition, which was released in 1995 Whoa. and remained, remained very faithful to the novel and people liked it. Was it Japanese? It's Japanese. Uh, huh. It was a, a Japanese remake. So, or a Japanese uh, adaptation of gotcha. the novel. Um, then, <laughs> Ring the Final Chapter is a 12-episode TV series that was based on the novel that takes a bit more liberties with the novel. That came out in uh, 99, I believe. Dang. Then, uh... Or in that, that came out in 97. Okay. Then in 98, Ring or Ringu, or the one that people think is the original, came out, which changed the protagonist to female. Now, I want you to think about the atmosphere in, chi in, um, in trying to make this remake just a few years after the first and just a little bit after a TV series, if it was occurring here in America, where we would, I mean, this would be one of those things where if a, a movie was made in 95 and then a TV series was made in 97 and then a remake of the movie was made in 98, we'd be like, oh, they're out of ideas. Yeah, totally. Or whatever. Hollywood's yeah. bankrupt or whatever. But in Japan, this wasn't the case. People were like, yes, okay, new interesting take on that novel I love. Hmm. Um, and so Ring, the 1998 version, the one people think of as the original, Ringu, is, uh, was a, a huge hit. So people had already seen two versions of this, and they're still very interested in seeing another version. Interesting. Um, so when uh, Gore Verbinski was interested in making a remake um he knew going into it that the hardcore fans of uh ringu here in america would react violently to it vehemently against it yeah. which is is how we do for some reason but he understands something about the original content and and it comes out in the remake and the way he sort of so lovingly sticks to Ringu, and, but also like bring something new out in it. He he knew that he had something interesting to say about it. He had something interesting to do with it. So he went forward with it. It's I mean it's a risk. Like it's a huge risk to to do this, um, especially when you're talking about horror movie fans. Who I I at the time I remember I had seen Ringu um, in 2001, I believe. And then 
I saw The Ring in 2002, and I remember um, having that same sort of feeling, like, oh, they're just remaking it, but then sitting down and watching it and being like, oh, this is kind of a completely different movie. Yeah, totally so. Yeah. So you had seen Ringu before you saw The Ring whenever it came out. Yeah. Yeah. It um, actually came on uh, either Stars or Cinemax for a while at Hmm. that time, and my grandparents had cable i remember watching it one night and being just blown away because like you know it's one of those things where you know now we look back on it and we think like you know there are tons of movies up to that point that had um this esp angle and the supernatural to it but like kids and stuff yeah but the way ringu plays out is real good it's a good movie but I I'm gonna go ahead and make controversial statement. I like the American version better, and I think Ben and I, you you and I were talking about this before. We both did more research for this than we've done for any movie com- combined collectively. Yeah, <laughs> more research than we've ever done for any movie. We both watched we both watched Ringu. Uh huh. We both watched The Ring. Yeah. Um, did you watch, did you get to see The Ring 2? I didn't, I didn't see The Ring 2. I've never seen I it, I watched actually. The Ring 2, and then we both watched Rings. Yeah, which is 2017, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, this is like, thanks to me being laid up on the couch with the fucking flu, I was like, well, fuck yeah. it, let's just keep going here and watch this. And for me, it was like, gosh, I and I, I really, we'll get into this as we're breaking down the movie, but. This movie, to me, has an amazing sequel in it that has never been made. Yeah, yeah, totally And so, so. I wanted to see the sequels, and I wanted to watch the original again to just see if I could compare. And, and we'll talk about some of the comparisons, but I, I think that the American version is a better film. Man, I do too. And I actually well, don't right. think... I, I, I had thought that I had seen uh, Ringu before, but... I sat down and watched it the other night, and I actually think that was the first time that I had ever watched. Oh, that really? Before. Yeah, I think I think I think I'd seen like the Japanese version of The Grudge or something. Yeah, that's Ju-on. what I was gonna say. Is I think some sometimes people have seen Juon and maybe mistake it for Ringu. Um, Juon is a great movie. Yeah, and is definitely better than the remake. I'm not gonna take away from Ringu at all. I think it's a good movie, but there are some problems with it that really stood out to me. People act like that original one is just the be-all, end-all, like, most fucking terrifying Japanese flick ever made and stuff, and... Yeah. I don't know, man. It's kind of got that whole, like, a lot of Japanese flicks from that era and even from today do. Kind of looks like a made-for-TV movie. Looks like a Lifetime special. Yeah, yeah. Um, Like Audition. You know, Audition's the same way. It's like most of that movie, which we love Audition, but... Yeah. That movie looks like a lifetime, you know, Yeah, it's special. it's shot it's shot very much like almost uh like a soap opera at times. Yeah. Exactly it, so, man. And there was there was just a lot of kind of components and stuff that I thought that got added to the American version that were lacking from the Japanese one. Like there's no there's no family problems in the Japanese one as far as the mom yeah. and the kid and, and the estranged dad and stuff. There's not really any of that in the Japanese one. In the Japanese one, like, we'll talk about it because there is definitely this sort of in the American one. 
but there is this sense of ESP being a part of the culture. Yeah, everybody in Japan has the ESP. Yeah, like everybody seems to have it. The American one, I think, deals with that, but it does it a different way that ends up making more sense, and we'll maybe talk about it in a little bit, but the, the way that the Japanese one deals with ESP is just like, Oh, yeah, well, this is a world where everybody has ESP, <laughs> like, obviously. Yeah, it sure seemed that way, man. It definitely seemed that way. What did you think about the the cursed video itself in the Japanese one versus the American one? Uh, and the Japanese one is is good and creepy, but it's not as uh, it's not as creepy as the American one. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not as dedicated to what it ends up doing like in the american one like we get these different flashes that actually are uh what it is is samara telling her story to rachel mm-hmm. and guiding rachel to her yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, whereas in the japanese video it's kind of just like a treasure map and that's the end like it, it, it kind of just uh like there's even the point part in the the japanese version where there's a guy just pointing yeah i know that kind of comes back in where it's just a flash and it's like oh that's where i go i guess and he's got like a napkin over his head and it's like okay yeah whatever the fuck this means yeah Yeah. they didn't really tie all that together like the images in the japanese one didn't necessarily have relevance other than like the volcano one and obviously the well and and shit like that too yeah the american one you know it's basically like a clip reel of of like key scenes from different tool videos i guess (laughs) (laughs) it really is um i i really like it and i too i think it's sick man the the horse's eye and shit yeah what's cool to me i don't know if you remember this but they they would they played that video as like a promotional thing where like they would play it on like i think adult swim and stuff oh shit yeah and it just played the video. It didn't say anything. It didn't say like the ring. It didn't say like coming, you know, October 18th or whenever. Yeah, October 18th. It just said, it just showed the video and then that was it. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck? Yeah. Is there a new tool album coming out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, there probably isn't. No. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like, um, What's interesting to me about The Ring is that it comes just a few years after Blair Witch Project, and Blair Witch Project used the internet in a way that no movie had used the internet before. Yeah. And they actually did a sort of, like, kind of similar promotional idea with The Ring with, uh, you know, showing the video as this sort of just uh avant-garde out of nowhere what is that sort of thing but it's so weird that it entered itself into the social consciousness yeah and they had you know different websites and things sort of dedicated to the whole um story and history of things so like uh they were trying to use the internet in an interesting way to promote it i like that man but this video it it's it sticks with you especially i would say the part where the fingernail like so gets ripped off i love the woman brushing her hair in the mirror that and then like so creepy drifting away in the mirror yes that that fucks me up for some reason man yeah that actually um that 
I think they sort of used just the way she looks in the mirror for the design of that painting and it. Oh yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Remember, and that that is sincerely like, I think I said it when we talked about it, but it is the creepiest thing I've seen in a horror movie in a long time. Like yeah, yeah. the way that it moves and stuff, the painting when it, it's just insane. Yeah, um, but it has it, it that same kind of vibe. But it has that same kind of vibe. It's just this, I don't know. She, she's so, she's smiling, but stoic. Like the way yeah. she looked, they picked this perfect actress to play this role because the, the role of Samara's mom is uh, real hard to figure out. Like it's hard to figure out what the character is. I think I, I have got it and we'll get into it, but. Listen, I'll tell you what's hard to figure out. What it is. How come that bitch is wearing these like Victorian era fancy dresses and stuff when it's like that was that was totally made in like the sixties or seventies, I would guess. Because yeah. like Brian Cox yeah. later on in the movie, he's like, Oh, that happened, you know, thirty years ago or whatever, and he's like, you know, he's probably sixty or something, but Yeah. Why was she why was she wearing these like Victorian dresses? <laughs> well the okay, so the one of the main themes of the Ring novel and uh Ringu, the nineteen ninety eight adaptation is this clash of uh, the new world and the old world in Japan where these uh, like uh, new world and old world values are clashing. And so um, the the mom kind of represents this old world, especially in Ringu because Samara or Sadako is not the, she's not the focus for most of Ringu. Most of Ringu is focused on the mom Mm -hmm. and like her psychic abilities and stuff. And then we find out, Oh no, Sadako is the, the one to worry about. Um, That's something that I found was interesting that they, they mainly snipped out of the American version is that, yeah. In the Japanese and it's like, yeah, the mom is psychic. She predicted this volcano eruption. Okay. I think the new backstory is better, but also not clear. The okay. new backstory is that basically they were willing to try anything to get pregnant. And from the cryptic way they talk about it, it seems like they may have used some sort of magic or voodoo. Mm-hmm. Something something un like otherworldly, ungodly yeah. that created this child. So the the evil and the powers come from this magic. And mm-hmm. I like that. I feel there's a great depth to the mythology of the ring that sort of gets, uh, I don't know if it's in the novel, but certainly gets shaved out in Ringu because Ringu is in fact only an hour and 30 minutes and, and the ring is two hours and 15 minutes. So there's like wow. 40, 40 minutes different. I think it's two hours. It might, it might be a little less. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a bigger, amount of time to develop this world and that's really what Gore Verbinski does um but I don't want to talk too much about Ringu we might do a Ringu episode sometime let's talk about the movie itself Gore Verbinski director um his name may be familiar uh he directed the Pirates of the Caribbean movies Woo! did he do all of them Uh, no uh, he did the first three um he did Rango Yeah, the first one's cool. I actually like the second one a lot, too. That's the one with the Kraken and, and stuff. That's a good one. Oh, he did Rango. I didn't know that. He did Rango. He did the Lone Ranger, which... I've heard that's terrible. It, 
absolute bomb and was a bad idea <laughs> from the start. Um, but he also did recently a cure for wellness, which I watched this week. And oh, I wanted to see that. It's good. Um, yeah? it's it's weird. It is. It's it's like a a mystery thriller up to a point. But it then it becomes Lovecraftian, which is I mean exactly what Lovecraft was more more than like tales of twisted uh, creatures and things. Lovecraft was about mysteries that led to these weird discoveries of strange uh, otherworldly things going on. Yeah, and and that's a cure for wellness. Definitely is Lovecraftian and becomes very horrific at, near the end. Damn, cool. Would it have made it on your list of 2017 horror flicks if you'd have seen it before we made it? Uh, see, that's a tough one, because um, if if it did, it would have replaced the girl with all the gifts. Okay. Um, and yeah, maybe. Maybe it would have. <laughs> Damn, nice. <laughs> it was good. Oh, I also watched Gerald's Game, which I mentioned last week when we talked about that. Um, I didn't like it, but... <laughs> I, yeah, I've heard from a lot of people that didn't like it. Yeah. I haven't seen it yeah. either. Uh, but so anyway, the Gore Verbinski is a good director. I mean, it, no matter what you think about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or the Lone Ranger movies, his uh, aesthetic, his style, and his—he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and he can make something look really good. I think this movie looks awesome. It does. I I'm not a huge fan of the green tint of everything, but yeah, it's that it's that color that I just call Fight Club. It's that Fight Club yeah. color. Yeah, it is. That's and and he at the time that he made this didn't have as much pull with a studio as as he would have after he done after he did Pirates of the Caribbean. So he 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 probably had some sort of uh, note from the studio that people seem to like this green color. Um. But other than that, the the way he composes shots and the, the things he shows us, he he has a lot of like surreal images and just very strange, uh, you know, color distinctions. Specifically, that tree when it's like just so yeah, red in comparison totally. to everything else, which has been so dingy or green up to that point. So I, I think he's great. the The writer of this, Aaron Kruger, who must be the Dream Child's brother, I would think so. Yeah. Um, the writer of this... Okay, so it, this should be known. This, The Ring went into production without a completed script. Aaron Kruger gets the credit for it. He wrote three drafts of the screenplay. Scott Frank came in and did uncredited rewrites. Now, okay. I'm, I want to see if you can guess who may have made this movie a bit better. Here are Aaron Kruger's, uh, some of his claims to fame. Scream, Scream 3. Mm-hmm. Reindeer Games. Ooh. <laughs> the Ring 2. Ooh. Uh, and three Transformers movies. I'm going to guess he probably didn't save the day on this project. Okay. <laughs> Scott Frank, who was brought in to rewrite, he had done uh, the adaptations of Elmore Leonard's Get Shorty and Out of Sight. Or, you know, okay. Uh, those were, those were, had different titles, but... Um, he did Minority Report. He did yeah. The Wolverine, which is the one in Japan, which right. is, is a good movie. And he also did Logan. Oh, um, fuck yeah. Which is great. And he also wrote and directed A Walk Among the Tombstones, which I haven't seen, but it got a lot of good reviews. So 
I think what happened here is that Gore Verbinski had uh, an affection for the original and had a good vision of how he wanted to do this. And if you watch the original and the remake side by side, you'll see there are a lot of similar shots totally or so, scenes yeah. that are exactly the same. But I think Gore Verbinski had a good vision. Aaron Kruger had a basic good idea for a movie and Scott Frank came in and saved it. And, um, and they... They, they combined this what looks like it would be a, a you know completely terrible mixture of you know bad preparation a script that's not ready when you go into production and needing rewrites as you go that all seems like it's going to be bad but it all turns out great and i think it's because gore verbinski had a vision from the beginning of what he knew exactly how he wanted it to play out yeah i think you're right man and the the visual the visual look of the movie and stuff i mean obviously it's dominated by that that you know tealish bluish greenish kind of tone the whole movie but there are some really 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 i think well shot bits in here not just of the freaky stuff i mean just of, of everyday scenes and stuff like that it's a really great looking flick and i'll tell you too man it's one of the only one of the only horror flicks from this era that I will say has aged pretty fucking well. Oh yeah, it's yes, it it doesn't. Uh, other than some of the fashion choices, specifically that uh, sh- shirt that Naomi Watts is wearing the first time we see her putting her kid to bed, I, I was like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah. what is, is that? Did Rachel wear that on Friends? Yeah, it looked like. <laughs> It's a total Rachel shirt, and I think somewhere yeah. in there she's wearing some like velour pants or something too, and it's just like, oh man, ugh. This is actually from a period of time where maybe fashion wasn't the greatest, but ladies' hair was, like, I I think the perfect for, like, every time I think about ladies' hair, I think uh, early 2000s. Yeah. Every woman's hair in this movie looks great. Totally so. (laughs) Every single one. And uh, a lot of... uh, a lot of people in this movie like gore verbinski wanted to get no names basically and brian cox was the big name yeah um and so naomi watts just think about this naomi watts had been acting since 1986 at this point and mulholland drive had come out just around the time she started doing the ring so mulholland drive and the ring were like her big break they were like the the oh suddenly everybody realizes Naomi Watts is fucking great at this. Yeah, and, she's she's Miss Pretty Face McWeird movie. Yeah, and so she like she wasn't big at this point. And and you have uh, I think Adam Brody plays the kid at the the funeral who's just like oh the boyfriend killed himself or whatever. He's yeah, he's yeah. like nobody at the time and now he's you know in a ton of stuff. Um. And Amber Tamblin, who hadn't done anything up to this point, but then got Joan of Arcadia after this, and then, you know, Sister to the Traveling Pants, which makes uh, Hollywood Steven Spratling cry, so. Uh, <laughs> but, like, uh, everybody in this is kind of, they're unknown, but it, they're talent. Like, uh, it's obvious that the people who wanted to do this, they went out and found the people who hadn't been maybe given the shot that they deserve yet because Naomi Watts if you look at her IMDb she had done a bunch of stuff up to this point yeah it wasn't like from 1986 to 2002 she was just like scraping by she was getting work but we don't think of Naomi Watts before Mulholland Drive or, or uh The Ring right yeah um so she she's uh, she's this talented actress who just hadn't gotten that break yet and they went out for it like the that's kind of the way good horror movies come together, right? I mean, Typically. if we look back at, you know, uh, uh, Johnny Depp, who 
I don't want to see in anything ever no. again, honestly. Uh-uh. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he started in Nightmare on Elm Street and Kevin Bacon. Uh, one of his first things was Friday the 13th. Like, we saw, we see that throughout the 80s, just a lot of, like, young, talented people who their first role is a horror movie, and it still keeps happening today, where horror movies are the way to, like, you go out and grab this person who everybody knows is talented, but none of the big studios want to take a risk on them yet. Right, exactly. And then sometimes they, they put out some really killer performances. And, and I think yeah. this movie does have some good performances and stuff in it. Like, yeah. There's um, there's maybe just like a couple questionable lines of dialogue, like that part yeah. where you know Naomi Watts calls uh, what's his name, and she's like he watched the tape, and he's like who watched the tape, and she goes our, our son. son. Well, it's like oh Jesus, yeah. You know what though? I think that was necessary because I I thinking about that, I wrote that down. That was at 51 minutes. I don't think they had confirmed clearly up to that point that it they were the parents of Aiden. Like, no, uh-uh. no, I don't think like it, it, it seemed it seemed like that was the case, but they needed to just clarify finally. He's our son. Yeah. Brian Cox does an awesome job in there, which he always does, dude. And he's that yeah. man who has been in more fucking movies than anybody. I guarantee they only had him a few days because he's not he like he's not in it a ton. No. Um there's the barn scene and then two scenes in the house and one of those scenes is that fucking insane suicide scene yeah (laughs) man i love that scene too where like uh he's kind of revealed as standing behind her there where you got the the lighthouse kind of like temporarily illuminating the home yeah and then like the, the 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 light shines in through the house there and you see that he's standing behind her that's a great reveal yes it is um so yeah he's great i think the little kid is great Man, he just looks fucked up. Like he's exactly. just that kind of kid that just naturally looks fucking haunted and spooky. Yeah, and uh, um, if you watch a Cure for Wellness, uh, the main uh, the protagonist is played by Dane DeHaan, who also he's a guy you'll recognize him the moment you see him. Uh, his eyes are very creepy, and I think that Gore Verbinski likes that to have just that that natural creepiness to a person and this this kid has that natural creepiness one because that's just how he looks but two because he is uh, a, a genius um the kid who plays aiden actually um he was at 13 admitted to ucla what <laughs> and at and graduated as the valedictorian of his class and then at 18 uh, entered Harvard Law School. No so way. So the reason that that, like, you know, uh, you sometimes see child actors who seem, you know, wise beyond their years. And the way that this kid has that wise beyond his years aura about him is that he is. Wow. He is, he is insanely smart. I had so no idea. The way that this kid comes off as insanely smart is just by actually being that. Now, let me ask you, regarding that kid, does he have The Shining? Sort of, it seems, right? It seems I mean, that way. That's the impression that I get, man, because there's all this connection and stuff where it's like, you know, he knew he was really tight with his cousin who watched the tape yeah. and, and died in the intro of the flick, but it kind of seems like past that, it's almost like he's receiving transmissions from Samara or something. But but then it's like when he's in the house for the wake, you know, he, he kind of has that vision of his cousin walking up the steps. It's kind of like he's sort of yes. in touch with 
things that have happened again very much like Danny from The Shining which I've seen like dude I've seen a lot of people get pissed about that and they're like oh what the fuck does kid have the fucking Shining but it's so lame blah 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 and I'm like okay so you're willing to suspend disbelief that there's like this vengeful evil little girl that lives in a tape that kills you <laughs> but this kid having psychic powers you just can't stand for it it's like man go fuck yourself come on and also you're willing to suspend disbelief for the shining but not for this <laughs> yeah apparently so man yeah to me it's one of those things that like you said there's there's several people in the in Ringu that seemed to have this ESP, you know, yeah, it runs throughout. And and so that's lame. What they do for the remake is contain it. Actually, they make it simpler. It's that if we look at the way that Aiden works, he works through his creativity Mm -hmm. and the way that Samara works is she seems to be able to, manipulate i mean she has a lot of powers and we need to talk about that but one of them is she seems to be able to manipulate communication waves Mm -hmm. which means that she picks aiden to communicate to now nobody watches the video and goes man that's so lame that seems obvious that it's only for rachel to see Mm -hmm. And, and it is that yes yep the video is for rachel to see the samara knows she is in tune with all those things she knows that if she creates that vhs that the cousin will see it and that uh once this investigative reporter hears about her niece or whatever uh watching a video and then dying because of it she's going to investigate now what the movie sort of first gives us uh, leads us to believe is that all of this is samara conducting rachel to where she is and showing her her story so rachel can show the world this injustice that occurred to this poor little girl Mm -hmm. and i think that's the genius of this movie is that it leads you to believe that up to the very end right until the point when Rachel wakes up in bed with Aiden and Aiden says like oh like you know is is the girl still in the dark place like right up to there it's like oh this is just the denouement of the horror movie it's over but then we find out that the thing that Rachel has thought this whole time that she was being conducted to tell this girl's story and that she just needs to be heard isn't true at all Yeah. in fact Samara samara is evil and what she actually is and and this can conduct or connects back to the novel what she actually is is viral she is a virus yeah she she needs people to um to replicate the virus so to do it she threatens them with death and gives them a week to spread the virus yeah the the end result of what she's doing is that either she will uh joker style just create mass chaos where people are trying to uh get innocent dupes to watch the movie so they don't have to die or everybody comes together and works together and says like okay well we'll all just do this so that we all now are safe but then what she's done is change she has changed the dna of the people 
if everyone has been affected by her she lives forever she yeah. is immortal and she the thing is i mean she is dead she's able to continue through her work through the things she made and one of those things is the vhs so like if she can spread herself to everyone even though they're all safe she is now all powerful mm-hmm so there, there's this real deep story about Samara going on in this movie about how evil and how um, masterful her plan is that only really comes out if you watch it again and again, which is exactly what the video in the movie is. Like, the meaning of it only really comes out if you watch it again and, and again. Yeah. So... They they put the movie together to have this meaning, this sort of viralness to it, where to fully understand the fear of the movie, you have to watch it again and again and again and get invested into it, um, just like the the movie itself. Well, and I think part of what makes this movie so effective, especially when it came out, you know, I remember whenever this movie came out, like, it was one of those things kind of like whenever the Blair Witch Project came out, you know, whenever mm-hmm. you had this movie that kind of entered the social consciousness right away. Of, yeah. No, it's real. You know, it's like it really happened, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And uh-huh. um, because there's so many just little things in this movie that you can be directly affected by in real life. It's kind of like how we talked about how, like, you know, the reason that, that Elm Street is such an effective premise is because everybody sleeps. Everybody has dreams. Like, nobody's yeah. immune to it. And at the same time with this movie, I remember whenever it came out, it's like, dude, you'd watch this flick, and the next time your phone rang, you would fucking jump out of your skin. You'd be like, <laughs> is it? You know? And it's like, we'd call each other all the time, be like, seven days and yeah. shit like this. It's like, it becomes so instantly relatable to real life experience and stuff as soon as you watch it and then you know it's like you see the movie and then you know again 2002 and shit you're like waiting a week you're like oh my god it's been six days since i watched that movie what did it happen yeah "Yeah, exactly man it's like it's so it was so effective and it entered into the social consciousness very very hard for those reasons of it just being so very relatable again just like blair witch just like elm street and all those other ones that um that that hit really really hard in the real world i think too yeah okay there there's something going on in this movie that is on the cusp like this this i guess almost kind of fits with what we were talking about with the west world and black mirror there's something about this movie that's on the cusp where this movie is about viral media yeah totally but this is before YouTube, and this is before... I mean, this is not before anything went viral. I mean, there was that dancing baby and, and shit, but, like... <laughs> the Macarena. But this is this is a viral video. This is the, the concept of it, is it is a viral video. And, like, the, the definition of a viral video is basically that uh, it's something where people are duped into passing... A hidden agenda while circulating compelling content. Hey, but enough about It Follows. Am I right? Oh! oh. Yeah, so wa- watching this just immediately, uh, again, it made me go like, oh shit, It Follows. That's what It Follows is about, right? Totally. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes. It's like, pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, so this movie is about 
viral content before viral content. And so the, the focus a lot of the times is on television. So the, the theme that's coming across is less of a viral thing on the internet, but more of how television affects us and more of how we spread that, um, that message from television by sharing it with each other. Well, and the first the, line of the movie is, I hate TV. Yes, exactly. The first line of the movie is, I hate TV. There is so much about TVs, so many shots of televisions. And in fact, the thing that really opened it up to me is when uh, Rachel is showing Noah the video for the first time and she steps out on the balcony. And what she does while she's out on the balcony is she just starts looking around at the building across from her yeah. and seeing people watching TVs. And then there is an absolute reference to rear window when she looks in on a guy in a wheelchair watching uh, a race and he has binoculars on his windowsill. Oh, I didn't notice that. And by referencing rear window, what it then is uh, referencing is that idea of, you know, um, our, our voyeuristic uh interest in other people's lives and the way we misinterpret the things we see through our screens mm -hmm. the way that seeing through a screen makes us misinterpret the outside world hmm. and so this this is rooted in in ringu and rooted in the ring novel but it's also rooted in rear window throughout this is a movie that's about voyeurism and it's about the way that uh, the screen in between us and the world that we perceive is is um, it's it's giving us a warped perception mm -hmm. of the world, and we're spreading it to others by by building our belief about the world off of the media we consume instead of off of our actual real world experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think another another theme that I felt through the movie, too, is I, I think the whole, you know, Samara curse and passing it on, and so to speak, too, I think a lot of that, too, speaks about, uh, I think, abuse in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Because oftentimes we see that people that were, you know, grew up in abusive homes then go on to inflict abuse upon others. Yes. It's, and it's, yeah. It's kind of like the only way that these people know how to get that off their back is to inflict it on somebody else. And there's that whole message of, you know, what happens to the people we show it to. And it's like, I don't care. You know, it's, it's, that's very much like how the cycle of yeah. abuse goes too, where it's like, I don't yeah. care what it's doing to this person. It's just that I have to get it off of my back because I went through it, you know? You know, I didn't consider, because it seems to me that the movie sets up that Samara is evil from the beginning, no matter what, but it... Like, it, it, there's also the setup that the dad is not interested in her, doesn't care about their, and the mom is more interested in her horses. Yeah. So, like, um, Samara is worried her dad is just going to leave her in a mental facility because her dad just doesn't care about her or think about her. And with the mom, she's just mad that the horses get more attention than her, and that's what leads her to kill the horses. Um, But then that's that's the line too far for her mom her mom kills her because yeah. of that 
It's so <laughs> like, brutal too, man. When she just sneaks yeah. up and slips that bag over her head and shit. Yeah, and then gives her the emo "All I wanted was you" line. Oh yeah, that's another moment where, like in in Ringu, you were supposed to be moment. the chosen one. What if she said that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's that moment in Ringu where, like, I, it's actually her dad that kills her. Yeah, her and, dad kills her with a hammer. Yeah. yeah, and man, it's like that sound effect that it makes when he hits her over the back of the head is just like, you've heard that sound effect in 800 other movies. But it's perfect there. Man, see, <laughs> it, it took me, yeah, it took me way out of it. I was like, God damn, that's the noise Wait, they had to go you with. you didn't like bonk, boo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, it sounded, it might as well have been that. It was like a sound <laughs> effect that I've heard in a million cartoons for somebody getting whacked over the head. It was so, yeah. so fucking corny, man. Yeah, that that also I think that switching it, instead of having the dad killer having the mom killer like really opens up the the family it helps us understand the family life that the dad doesn't even care enough to kill her. He yeah. just wants to leave her somewhere and not think about her, just forget about her. Right, right. The mom doesn't care enough to do anything about it until her the thing she cares most about is is threatened. So Samar's parents were shit. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Well, and the thing is, too, is like in the in the American version here, uh, Naomi Watts and Noah, uh, whatever his whatever that actor's name is, are yeah. pretty shitty parents, too, actually. Well, the thing is, yeah, Rachel, Rachel is there uh, technically. I mean, but the thing is that she's a single mom and she's a career woman. She's chasing this career. Yeah. Um. Uh, so Aiden gets left with babysitters a lot uh, and that's why he's so close with his his cousin and things like that but the dad man he's I don't I don't um he's a well-written character so and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings out there but he's pretty reprehensible and this is why if you aren't a parent to your child because you think you'll be bad at it you're an asshole <laughs> you might be a redneck yeah you're definitely <laughs> a redneck but you might be an asshole you're de- like you're an asshole because your concern that you might be bad at it shows you'll probably be good at it because hmm, you'll yeah. be thinking about your parenting techniques and be trying to improve <laughs> That's true. Um, so the the anxiety of I don't think I'll be a good parent. So I'll just pretend I'm not one. What? <laughs> like I'll just leave the mother to take care of it and never have any sort of relation. Like that first. I mean, uh, this is a direct um, shot from Ringu. Yeah. But that first meeting where it's just they run into each other on the street, look at each other, don't say anything, and walk on. Like, that's the perfect expression of his relationship with his son. It's, I recognize you, I know you're my son, I don't have anything to say. Yeah. And Noah, to me, is a despicable character. Yeah. Who really, like, doesn't redeem himself at any point in this movie. (laughs) No, not really. No, you can't really... You can't really say that he does, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, it does. It does set up, the ending is set up as like uh, basically that the whole thing was that Samara wanted to bring a family together and have her story told, 
Like, because that's what it looks like is going to yeah. happen. It's just going to be, oh, well, they're going to be a happy family now. And then it would have been Noah is redeemed. But instead, it's that great, like, just subversion of that ending. I mean, we're at the point where people are just assuming the movie is over. And then the best, like, visual part of the movie occurs when she crawls out of the television Totally. And I love them. I love that it waits so long to do that too. Yes. Because it would have been so easy for them to come up with that visual and be like, oh, let's show it every single fucking time. But mm-hmm. that's another thing about this movie that I thought was really cool is like in contrast to so many other horror flicks that we watch where it's like, you know, in some of those uh Elm Street or I'm sorry, uh Friday thirteenth flicks, it's like there's uh-huh. a death every like eight minutes in the movie and stuff. Yeah. That's this... that's why we love those, but oh, it's totally. a different type of movie, yeah. Yeah. But in this movie, you go, I mean, at least an hour and a half without a death. It's like you have the cousin's yeah. death at the first of the movie. And you don't even see it. You don't no. even see the result of it until later in just a quick flash of Ugh. the the mom talking about finding her in the closet. And yeah, Which it's, is the scariest. It's super and and like Okay, so here's one of the things people find kind of maybe lame about Samara is that they think that she just scares people to death. But that's not true. If you look at the result of their death, they're not scared to death. Like, when it shows Noah's face, like, half his face is, like, melted. Yeah. It's almost like petrification or something. She has, she does something. She has, and this is basically, like, if... When I try to boil it down, she is basically, uh, if Dark Phoenix had Magneto's powers, Mm -hmm. but also she can manipulate x-rays. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, the Magneto powers are definitely, like, because she made that VHS with her mind, and VHSs are magnetic tape. Yeah. So to create a VHS, she had magnetic powers. I got you. Um, I got you. It, it showed the uh, the X-ray pictures she made with her mind, which are yeah. like creepy and, yeah, and cool. It was cool. Um, but we also have that you know she can basically uh, manipulate people's thoughts, uh, read minds. She can move stuff with her mind. Um, she's she's Jean Grey, but if she had like some of Magneto and some of I don't know, X-ray man? Who who manipulates X-rays? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that I did find was a little bit of a... I guess you'd say a slight misstep in this one. Uh-huh. Was her going to the uh, to the nut house to see the, the cousin's friend. Yeah. Now, I, mean, I like the fact that she went to see this other girl who was there and yeah. just went fucking nuts. That's cool as shit, but... What I didn't really like is why does she have the Samara shining? That's stuff what I now was gonna too? say. It, it it doesn't make sense. Like, is it is it that people who are affected by the Samara? Like, I don't know. Like, I could see it still being a viral thing. Like where where it's like she was there when the person was killed by Samara, so it like it's a part of her now I but guess. It, it really doesn't make sense that she knows four days or whatever yeah, like exactly it's like how does she know when fucking rachel watched the tape like i don't know like that's that's one thing that i was just kind of like when i watched it i was like yeah whatever and then later i was thinking about it and i was like wait how did she fucking know like that's yeah I don't know. It's just a little bit of a little bit of a misstep. For yeah, me. I think that could have been cut. I think there were a few scenes that could have been cut that could have actually made this a a bit 
of a tighter movie. That could have been yeah. cut. Um, the scene where Noah, when he goes to the, like, breaks into the records room, that's a fine scene. But then there's an additional scene where he goes to the video records room. Yeah. And there's the, I, I mean, uh, that scene does have, like, some value because the, the guy, um, that runs the video records room, he's great. Yeah, like, he's awesome. He he adds some like fine like a little bit of levity to the movie. He's funny, but it it, it could have been cut easily. All they had to do was like when he's looking at the folder of her records when it says like about the the video file, it could have just said like lost on yeah. it, and then boom, you cut out an extra five minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. No big deal. I mean, it was a funny ish scene, but it was like you don't need this. You could throw this out. Um, the rate. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to show Rachel Bella again, who I think is a pretty. Um, that's why they had the 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 crazy nut house scene. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also too. There's like a lot of scenes of Rachel, you know, researching and looking through microfiche and stuff like that. That's like, oh, okay, you know, it's cool to show that she's like a dedicated researching journalist yeah. and stuff like this is fine but it's kind of like a little bit it's overkill. a lot of re- lot of research yeah and she's like it's going a- through and like circling samara's mom and it's like just put uh-huh. arrows pointing to it, it says samara's mom it's this one. like you'd fucking forget that fast like which yeah. one was samara's mom again <laughs> yeah well here's okay so here's the thing i know that the some of those research scenes could have been sh- like cut but god I, i've said before i'm addicted to research like yeah. a library like i when i was in grad school i basically lived in the library which was hard on my wife and i for the first year of our marriage but um i i basically just stayed in the library and would read everything and like when i see good research scenes in a movie even if it's like this is not necessary i'm still just like yeah that's awesome. <laughs> research yeah, <totally>. is great. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, like so many research scenes and so much like stuff. But they also do, I think instead of having, you know, because they they do have her sitting in the library looking at stuff. But when they show um, them driving in the car to go to the island and the way they overlay like newspaper clippings and stuff. Mm-hmm. as they're driving and you're getting all these great beautiful like uh shots of of washington you know near the coast it's that is the perfect way to throw in that research totally where you're, yeah. you still have action and you still have like the story progressing but you're st- you can still get to show your like cool like newspaper clippings you had somebody do totally so man there's that one shot that she comes across of like it's Samara's mom and like two or three other ladies, and Samara's uh-huh. mom is just like so horribly photoshopped. Photoshop, yeah, yeah. Well, and oh, it wouldn't it even terrible. been Photoshop. It would have just been like cutting actual yeah. photo and pasting and then xeroxing. <laughs> oh, it looks so yeah, bad. Yeah, it it's looks like, bad. Really? You it looks have bad. Made a better looking shot than that. Mm-hmm. Or you couldn't have just taken a shot. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> like, dude. It's like <laughs> just get some extras and go take the actual picture. Yeah, easy. Come on. <laughs> So we have this real cool, I think, thing going on with the TV element and the way Samara uses this. But the the message that comes across is basically, in some sense, uh, I, and I don't think this is the message intended, but this is the sim- 
simpler way people could take this is that when they first go up to Samara's room in the barn, they mm-hmm. see that basically she just sat in front of a TV and like had no communication from anyone. Yeah. And it and it gives the indication that that sort of child is going to be prone to evil. Mhm. Um and we get the juxtaposition in that Aiden never watches TV and the only time he does it could have killed him. Yeah. So like the there's the good bad dichotomy of like watching too much TV will make kids evil. But I don't I don't think that is the ultimate message. I think it is a simpler message. I think the ultimate message is that um, Samara and Aiden are both creative kids. They both seek creative outlets. And Samara is sat in front of a TV more than given the opportunity to be creative. So she mm-hmm. kind of becomes evil. So it's not that TV spreads the virus or not that TV makes the child evil, but it's that there are other creative outlets that that would make the child, I don't know, more happy. She like I, I can imagine Samara could have been happy if if we're just going with the 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 reading that it's just that she had bad upraising. She should have had a, at least a Lincoln log up there, perhaps a, a light bright. One Lincoln log and half a light bright. <laughs> She'd have been fine. She would have been A-OK. This movie would have been called uh, The Ring because it's a romantic comedy about uh, Noah and his, and his uh, gal pal getting back together. And, and she wouldn't have even had a name. She wouldn't have been Rachel. She would have just been uh, Naomi Watts' Pretty would have been the title yeah. of her character. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm thinking of this because when I was sitting in the dentist's office today with my, my wife, they were playing The Wedding Planner. And oh, God. God, that movie's fucking terrible. <laughs> Way scarier than this. I'm pretty positive that Jennifer Lopez's name in that was uh, Cute. Like, that was her name. Just cute. Or, I played Selena, remember? Yeah. (laughs) Now, I like the special effects and stuff in this flick, and honestly, there's not many of them. I mean, other than, other than, of course, the tape itself, and then the the crazy disfigured faces that we see on the people, there's Uh not really much special effects. Like, the only one in here that I think does look pretty bad by today's standards that does date the movie is the scene with the horse on the boat when the horse is like jumping over and stuff dude that is so cool though oh it's so cool man yeah it's 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 an awesome scene i don't know like like did they just use video maybe of a horse jumping and and hitting the bar and falling like how did they make that look so good of the horse jumping off the boat but also like not making it over the the edge and sort of oh, hitting its back legs. Now see that like the way- that looks good. Yeah, that lo- actually yeah. does look weirdly good. Where you're like, yeah. oh, the poor horse. Um, the scene where it actually shows the horse like jump over Rachel uh-huh. looks bad, but then yeah, it's immediately it followed by, yeah, like you said, it going over the edge. It looks really, and I think too, man, that's one of those deals where I think that the atmospheric effects. Plus the weird, the weird tinge of the whole movie color, color tinge, you know, uh-huh. I, I think saved that. I think if that would have been a in broad daylight, 2002, CGI, it would have looked terrible. Yeah. Oh man, it would have looked awful. I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah. I think some of the other visual elements definitely saved that. I'm, I'm real interested. Like, so we, we have 
that maybe Aiden has The Shining. Yeah. But also we kind of hear from Brian Cox that all horses have ESP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about like, that. Because he, he's like... He says that they they know or before we know or whatever, and and it, they're obviously affected by Samara immediately. Like the horse on the 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 boat didn't Samara wasn't even there. He was just affected by somebody who was affected by Samara. That's how sensitive horses are to ESP. Like yeah, uh, that that is an interesting thing. And we know from phenomena that all insects are mildly telepathic. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Good callback to episode two, I think. <laughs> I think it was episode one. Episode one. Good callback to episode one of uh, Donald Pleasance telling us that all insects are mildly telepathic. We worship and... you. <laughs> that movie is awesome. I love that fucking movie so much, yeah. man. God, yeah. it's so good. Got to do more foreign movies, Ben. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. Um, so uh, I I think really we've gotten at the the biggest stuff about this movie. I think so. Do you think that? Do you think that it makes sense to make a sequel of this movie? No, I think it's one of those that really just should have been just a standalone. Right. This is what it is. Uh-huh. What happens to people we show it to, that's the yeah. end, and you go, whoa. You know, that's that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing about The Ring 2 that I was real interested in. First off, The Ring 2 is directed by the director of Ringu. Um, okay. It's also written by Aaron Kruger, who wrote the first one. But okay. um, as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure that, in fact, after watching The Ring 2, uh, Gore Verbinski and the guy who didn't get credited for the rewrites made that movie. Yeah. Because when you watch The Ring 2, what he throws in there is that suddenly um, Samara can't get you while you're asleep which is a direct contradiction to two instances in the first movie. Can't get you while you're asleep? Can't get you while you're asleep. Um, and she wants uh, Naomi Watts to be her mom. Uh, and that makes no sense. But okay. here's the one thing I think we could get if we build off of she can't get you while you're asleep. And that is Samara versus Freddy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they team up and then you can't escape them. Yeah, I'm on board. It would this be is fucking okay. awesome. Yeah. I would love that. I know like, where you can go. But I mean, that that is the less cool Samara, the the ring to Samara that can't get you while you're asleep. But uh once I once I heard that, I was like, yeah, that's perfect. Like because Freddy versus Jason doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're the like how their worlds would connect. No. But if if Freddy cause they like they both exist as that same sort of entity where they are dead but alive by their own will and they affect the world and if if we go by the ring too they affect the world in their own moments so uh freddy can affect you in your dreams in your unconscious mind and Samara can affect you in your conscious mind, but you're safe in your unconscious mind. So, mm-hmm. like, 
it would really get fun if you had a Samara Freddy Dream Warriors type of thing where you have these Dream Warriors who are like they've trained to fight Freddy and then Samara comes along and it's like oh shit how do we deal with this yeah I like it so overall was the ring two was it any good is it worth watching no uh, <laughs> is not it better at all. than rings? Yes, it's better than rings. But um, I texted this to you while I was watching the uh, watching rings. Rings has a promising opening. Now that plane opening. Uh, if you haven't seen Rings, watch it. It came out last year. Uh, spoiler alert: it, sh- it sucks really bad. It's fucking shit. terrible. Um, but that the plane opening is very much as as you said final destination type of shit yeah where it's just like why is this even happening honestly (laughs) but it does it does set up some cool world where samara takes over all the screens and is able to take over the electronics of the plane never comes back and then the second opening there are three two of them are cold openings (laughs) um the second cold opening with the the guy from um uh the big bang theory yeah uh, galecki johnny galecki um the second opening with johnny galecki is real interesting because we get in a short time we get that he's a professor who studies like these interesting phenomena and he comes into possession of the the tape so you think like oh well this is gonna go somewhere interesting probably the internet but it doesn't a no. movie in 2017 about a video doesn't include the internet at all yeah it's it's so it's such an oversight man it's such a huge oversight and then they kind of do it the very end remember like the guy's email goes crazy but it's like why not start there yeah start there i mean like it seems to me that the 2005 one would have started there the the ring too yeah it seems they would have started yeah, like start with maybe an email attachment or something that yep. turns into a wider thing. But yeah, it, it is it is mind-boggling how you make a movie in 2017. And like the thing is that the that entire plane opening was just to set up the idea that somebody would come across a VHS with a VCR. Yeah. Totally so. It makes no sense. No. It's like there wasn't a cleaner way to do that. There is, absolutely. Somebody finds the VHS. Like, actually, you just cut out the plane part. You have Johnny Galecki find the VHS. Because he he finds the VCR at, like, a swap meet. Mm -hmm. That is exactly where you would find a VCR. You don't need the backstory that the kid died in a plane crash. No. Uh Uh-uh. He just had There's a VCR. Yeah. He gets it. He's a professor of I don't know. Uh, they they actually they they fucking totally destroyed this. He uh, spoiler alert again for Rings. It's shit. If you're worried about spoilers for Rings, it's fucking shit. But yeah, don't worry about it. He's a math professor. He's not even like a media professor or like somebody who studies the internet or something. Yeah, where it uh, would have been very interesting for him to come across this early viral video and be like, "Oh, this is what is this? Yeah. I will show this to kids in a class." He shows it in a class, uh, like boom, like it starts developing into one. The the professor doesn't show up one day because he's dead, and now the kids have to figure out what's yeah, it's happening. Like a new type of urban legend i just i just gave uh, whoever owns ring i just gave you a better sequel hire me yeah exactly it's right there (laughs) it's easy it's easy man yeah that rings was just fucking terrible man and it's like 
it was it was pretty significantly shorter than The Ring, and I was like, God damn, this is the longest. It movie. feels so long, yeah. Oh, well, man. as I said, it has three openings, two yeah. cold openings, two openings before the title pops up. Like, it makes no sense. It, it, and it came out like it just came out last year. You would think at this point that like somebody would have said because this is 12 years after the ring 2 which sucked terribly somebody who had been working off of a, a property that had been around for 17 years should have been able to come up with a, a little bit better at yeah. the very least <laughs> but it, it seems like it was just like no we're just gonna you know we'll show up and start filming and see what happens i don't know yeah we I got the know, guy whatever. from the big bang theory that oh, should man. That should help. And Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> yeah, and Vincent D'Onofrio. What oh, did he? Why man. did? I mean, I do get. I get why Vince, because he, he takes some very questionable roles. But I get that it because it's like if if I keep working, I keep getting money, and I don't have to go be a manager at Walmart. So yeah. <laughs> so I get it, but like, man, his, his little tiny sunglasses. It's it, they don't fit his head. Oh my god, guys, we're so never, we are never covering rings. Um, but I don't want to watch it again. That's one of the I will never watch it again. It is currently on Hulu, and you don't even need to have seen any of the movies beforehand no. to understand what's happening because they go over it a million times. Yeah, exactly like what happens. It, god, it's so irritating. Well, maybe one day we'll get we'll get a sequel to this that can build off of what they set up in the first movie. Just retcon everything else, zap it, yeah, and come up with a new way to interpret this in a, in a world where we do have viral videos and you know messages yeah. and ideas that get spread so and fast. Yeah, the, seriously, like fuck. The, the the thing I would assume, like, and, and did assume going into Rings, a movie made in 2017, that at some point Samara is gonna crawl out of an iPhone. Surely, not nothing even close to that ever no. happens. Mm-mm, no, it makes no <laughs> fucking sense. Anyway, so Ben, uh, this movie, what did you think about it? How would you rate it? You know, okay, so I watched this one. I think in like 2003 or so with my man Josh, because we had heard that this is like the scariest fucking movie ever. So we sat in his parents' uh, house in the daylight, in broad daylight, and watched it, and we were fucking scared to death watching this movie. So I remembered really liking it, and I don't think that I had actually seen it since. I don't think I had seen this movie since oh, Josh okay. and I watched it in like 2003. So uh-huh. I was really expecting for this to be a big letdown. Kind of like whenever we watched... Um, well, when we watched Event Horizon, it was like, I remembered it as being much better than it really was, and I think uh-huh. part of it is just because it had been so long since I'd seen it, and then also, too, it's the fact that I've seen so many other great horror movies in between then and now. Uh-huh. I expected for The Ring here to be uh, a really big disappointment because of the era that it came out and so on. Yeah. I actually think it's better than I remembered. Like, I really, I really enjoyed this movie, like... It made me kind of, it made me kind of uneasy, you know, later at night when I was up by mm-hmm. myself in the house, like, kind of like after I watched The Witch, where I'm like, I don't really want to be by myself. I kind of want to just, you know, head up and go to bed early just so I don't have to be by myself in the house. <laughs> it freaked yeah. me out pretty good, man. And it's been 
a really long time since that's happened with a movie, probably since The Witch, honestly, uh, or The Exorcist, either one. Uh huh. And um, yeah, I really dug it, man. The soundtrack to this movie is fucking beautiful. Beautiful yeah. soundtrack. Hans I mean, Zimmer. Yeah, yeah we haven't talked about that. This is Hans Zimmer, so. Oh, yeah. man. I fucking mean, it's, awesome. It's one of the best horror soundtracks. I mean, that I've seen in a long time. It's one of the best horror soundtracks, period, I think. It's really fucking good. I think it, at times, sounds kind of like... Go- like, it kind of gets into the Goblin Suspiria theme at I times. I totally agree. There's even yeah. a little part in there with those arpeggios that kind of sounds yeah. like Suspiria, where it's doing that... You know? And uh, I mean, that's definitely Hans Zimmer probably made that choice, but I oh, believe be. Gore Verbinski has to be into um, uh, Giallo because totally. if you watch A Cure for Wellness, it's going to remind you a lot of uh, Suspiria. Tight. I like it already yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. Soundtrack is gorgeous. The special effects, you know, minus just a couple, still looking good, still have aged really well. Um, Nummy Watts does a great job. The kid does a great job. Brian Cox does a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I have very little to hate about this movie. I like the pacing. It's slow. It's a slow burn kind of flick, mm-hmm. um, which I, I very much enjoy. You know, it's like that really... That's the thing about this movie. It really just does kind of build itself on the, the atmosphere, the mood, the tension, you know, the unknown, which is my favorite kind of horror flick. It's not just constantly beating you over the head with yeah you know more kills and blood and guts don't although i love that too yeah that's awesome but i love it man i think it's i think it's a really great flick that i will definitely watch again i think if uh if i was putting this on a scale of of 10 i would probably go like eight i really like it yeah man that's a good rating i um when thinking about this movie the one thing i think of is that the ending at the cabin seems lame yeah that uh, that is a little bit lame it's like really they built this this cabin over this well and yeah yeah. and and also the way it uh wraps up to like everything up to this point had been so well done where everything sort of developed and and closed out near the end but then we have the cops show up at the cabin and it's just like Noah walks over and he's like says they're gonna bury him next week and then it's like wait what yeah. okay the, the cops showed up you busted up a cabin you found a, a well and a skeleton at the bottom of the well and yeah. you've you've told them the entire story of everything that happened and they said you know what we'll bury her next week um yeah they're, like, like, yeah, they're, they're white people probably telling the truth yeah but i i do think that because that what they wanted to do was really shock you with that her crawling out of the TV because it comes right when you think the movie's over. They really want to shock you. I think some of that cheesiness is intentional. They wanted yeah. you to be like, False oh, it's just gonna have it's gonna have a cheesy ending. Oh, okay, like that's fine. I guess it's been fun up to this point. Uh, so, so I I feel it's cheesy, but I I think it has a a purpose. Um. I think at times the it gets a little over the top, like whenever mm-hmm. Naomi Watts smashes that VHS and she's oh, like, yeah. what do you want? Like, yeah. she's good in it, but it's like, 
Okay, this is, like, this is not her. She doesn't just suddenly scream out into the space, like, well, what What do you want? Like, she, yeah, yeah. she's uh, very, ra and, and maybe that's the point of the scene, is that her, ration, uh, her rationale and her ability to see um, each of the steps has suddenly broken down because she's a very she's a very methodical person who does her research and figures out exactly what's going on and now sure. she she thought she knew what was going on and the rug got pulled out from under her um but the scene is it's it's over the top and not not very good i don't think i see that but uh, it's it's a great movie and i can't disagree with you it is an eight to me this movie yeah. is an eight eight yeah. Ocho, the Ocho. What are we going to be talking about on the show there next week? Well, I think it's time that we bust out the 31 flavors, Ben. Uh -oh. It's Boskin. <laughs> oh, man. Baskin, Boskin, Bashkin. I don't know how it's pronounced. Don't know Turkish. We'll figure it out. No idea, man. Yeah, that's one that you dead and lovely listeners have requested, so we are here to fulfill yeah. your requests and make you happy so we'll be watching this very strange movie next week on the show yeah we've both seen this already so man it's i'm excited i'm excited to watch it again because i i remember being blown away by it and then um just remembering the sense of dread and shock but yeah, now i don't remember exactly what happens me so too yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited to watch to it again it. Well, in the meantime, where can they hit us up and uh, drop us some more requests for other flicks that we should cover? Well, you can email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com, or you can always find us on Instagram or Twitter at deadlovelypod. We also have a Facebook group, which is awesome. Huzzah! You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. Where can they find you, Steve? Uh, at Steven Spratling. Steven spelled with an S, the only way to spell it. Oh, Steve. Well, <laughs> in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening to our show. Stay tuned next week for uh, another brand new episode of Dead and Lovely. In the meantime, you guys have been just goddamn divine. We've been dead and lovely. Seven days. Oh, ooh, ooh. Bye. Bye.